John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's quite a bold statement to make, isn't it, from John? If we love the world, then we can't love the Father. And yet, we find that James agrees with him. In James 4, verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we can't be friends with the world. And Jesus himself in Luke 16, verse 13, says that no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we want to look at this bold statement in these verses 15 to 17 of 1 John chapter 2 this morning. What does it mean to love the world and the consequences of that? Well, first of all, I suppose we need to understand what John means by the world in this short passage. Now, the Bible tends to use, or the New Testament uses the, the words, the Greek word for the world here in the three different ways. One of them is, as Jesus speaks in Matthew 13, 35, he says, the, the prophet spoke saying, I'll open my mouth in parables, I will utter secret things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So in some places it's used in the aspect of the physical world, the creation of God. And we know that as God's creation, yes, it's marred by sin, but there is a lot of beauty in it. There's a lot to love, a lot to admire in God's creation around us. And so can John be saying we shouldn't love the created world? Well, I don't think that's the way John's using it here. Secondly, he used, it's used in the way of referring to all the people in the world. <clears throat> in John 3.16, Jesus speaking this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So God loved the world, the people in the world, the mass of humanity in the world. And if God loves them, then surely we're called to love them as well. So I don't think John's referring to the world in that sense either in this case. What I think he's referring to is the attitudes and the values of the world around us. The spiritual aspect, if you like, of the world. The way the world rejects God in its responses to God and to God's word and the attitudes of heart and mind that go with this. We might sit and think, well, that's fine. We, none of us love the world in that sense. We all hate the world. But he also says the things of the world, and that's a bit more difficult, isn't it? Because there are lots of things in the world that we know in our hearts that we love. And they do get in the way of our Christian walk. So John is challenging us as Christians to our attitudes of heart and mind, our values. Now the word for love he uses here is that strongest word in Greek, agape, that sacrificial love. It was the love that took Jesus to the cross. 
willing to do anything for it. So he was saying, if you have this love that puts the world first, then you cannot have that same love for God. And that's what it's talking about. Do we, in aspects of our lives, have a love that puts the world first? Now John helps us out because he gives us three ways in which this love is manifested in verse 16. First of all, he talks about the lust of the flesh. The love of the world can be seen in the lust of the flesh. Now often, we tend to think of this as just purely being about sexual desires, in lust in that way. And yes, it is included in that, but it's far broader than that. This looks at anything that we place in our physical lives we, we love and we lust after and there are lots of different ways that this can be revealed Paul writing to the Romans talks about people who dishonour their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator and it's a very easy thing for us to do, to worship the creature. If you actually go on Google Maps and look at where I live, just around the corner there's a house and it's marked as a place of worship. And that's because the person who lives there has got a Facebook page where they've got all these supercars on it. And quite often in the summer and the Saturdays you'll hear this noise of these big cars turning up. It takes photographs of them. And it struck me that, yes, they are there and they're enjoying this. But even in that, they're worshipping the, crea the creation, aren't they? They're worshipping the car, not the person who designed it or the factory that made it. Even in that, they're worshipping the creature. And it's very easy for us to be called into these things. There are lots of things in our lives and all the, these things are legitimate. Paul talks about these, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, All things are lawful for me. So all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And that's the difference, isn't it? There are loads of things in the world that are good, and we love them. But it's when they, we come under their power that it becomes a problem for us. Remember Daniel. Now I always think of myself, if I was in Daniel's situation, I'm there, okay, I'm a captive, but I'm given all the great food of Babylon. And you think, yeah, fantastic. This is good, isn't it? All the delicacies from the king's table, all these things brought to me. And it's very easy to think, yeah, I'd love that, I'd tuck in every day. It'd be great. But Daniel recognised that to do so would be against the will of God. He'd be acknowledging the gods of the Babylonians. And he was willing to deny his flesh to obey the will of God in restricting himself to vegetables and water. And we see that God blessed that there but it would be so easy in that situation to say no I'm just going to tuck in and go for it 
and lots of other areas in our lives that we struggle with these things. Anything where we're indulging ourselves becomes a problem, can become a problem for us. Can be in our houses where we like a bit of luxury. It can be in how we respond to physical exercise even. In, I don't know what it's like around here in Lincoln, most of the amateur sports, particularly football and that, are on a Sunday. And so if you want to play football, you've got a choice. You know, what do you put first? Do you put football, playing football, or do you put going to church? And it's particularly difficult if you've got children and they're interested in playing football. You're trying to explain to them, well, they're not believers, why can't I play? Why, you know, why have I got to do this? And yet, these things can quite easily get in our way. We can give in to these. Give in to the physical lusts of the flesh, the things that we want to do. And one way to think is, there are often things that get in the way of serving in the church, even coming to the church services or the prayer meeting. Are the things we're doing at home, maybe... Even things like there's a, uh, a good series on television and it happens to be at the same time as the prayer meeting. <clears throat> now I know it's probably not so difficult now because we can record everything. But if you want to catch up and not have the spoilers when you're meeting your friends the following day, is there a temptation, particularly when it comes to the last episode? Oh, I'll just watch that. I'll just miss the prayer meeting this week. And so these things can creep in. Well, there are other things that get in the way of serving in the church. And we need to be honest with ourselves over this. Our attitudes to these things, well, I can't do this because. And so we come back to Paul saying all things are lawful, all things are legitimate. You know, family cares and concerns. But are we under the power of any? Are they getting in the way of doing the will of God? Are we pandering to our physical desires, the things that we want to do? Now over the, the years, I mean, in John's time they had the idea, and I think I mentioned last time, that the flesh was evil and therefore it went one of two ways. They could either do what they liked in the flesh because it wasn't evil and it didn't matter, it had no significance, or they mortified the flesh. And that's come back down through the centuries, hasn't it? We hear of people wearing her hair shirts and, and hitting themselves with whips because the flesh is, is bad and they're denying the flesh or they lock themselves away or they live a, a life that's you know, minimalistic. And yet that's not acknowledging what John is saying here. He's not talking about our physical beings he's talking about our attitude towards these things because Jesus says it's what comes out of a man that is what defiles him in Mark 7 23 when he's talking to the Pharisees he says what comes out of a man defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness wickedness deceit lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all of these things 
come from within and defile a man. So when people say, oh yes, I'm going to deny myself, or I'm going to keep myself separate from the world in hiding away, and we see this in convents, in monasteries, they're ignoring the fact that it's actually within our hearts that these things come from. And it's our hearts we need to get right with God. Because how we respond to the world around us comes from within. And unfortunately, a lot of these things can even impact us within the church. Remember Paul's challenge to the Corinthians, even around the Lord's Supper. So when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, another is drunk. So even, it seems, within the church, we can still be giving way to this desire to meet our physical needs ahead of the spiritual needs and of the the needs of others within the church. So we have to be careful on how we respond to our desires to meet our physical needs. Another one of these things relevant for the young people is your relationships with others. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't be in relationships as Christians with unbelievers. Now that can be within a physical relationship, in, a mar- in marriage, in planning for marriage. It can also be, though, within a business set up, can't it? Because some of the attitudes and values of those in business might not meet with our Christian values. So we need to be careful in those things as well. And in that way, we have to sometimes deny ourselves. I was hearing only the other week of a, a young man and he came under conviction of his relationship with his fiancée. She wasn't a believer. And he loved her. But he recognised that it would be wrong for him to marry her. And so he had to make the hard decision, which was hard for both of them, but it's in accordance with God's word and God's will to break off that relationship and say it wasn't right for him. And then you, maybe even in your hearts now you're saying, oh, hang on, that's horrible. But sometimes that's how the attitudes of the world come in, don't they? they because, oh no, that, that's horrible. And yet we're called to be obedient to God's will. If we love the world, the f- love of the Father is not in us. If we put the world's attitudes and values first, the debate over euthanasia or assisted suicide is another one that challenges us, isn't it? Because we can see that people are suffering, although a lot of the medical professionals tell us that there is not as much suffering as there used to be in those that are terminally ill because of the medication they can have. But we can almost sympathise with them and say, well, you know, if they want to die, let them die. And yet that's against God's word. And the situations 
with abortion as well. Saying, I don't want to bring a disabled child together. I don't want to bring this child into this terrible world. Well, then it's easy to sympathise with those attitudes, yet it's against God's word. And there are these attitudes and values in the world that come to us from all different areas and different aspects, and we can sympathise with them. And then we recognise, when we turn to God's word, that our minds are being affected by these things. And we need to make that stand that we're going to stand on the word of God and be obedient to his will. So we are challenged by the lust of the flesh, by the attitude of the world to our physical needs, our physical being. But then John says, there's the lust of the eyes. Now we know the lust of the eyes can lead to the lust of the flesh. Remember David and Bathsheba, He's in the wrong place to start off with, but he's looking and he sees this beautiful lady bathing and decides, that's what I want. And so that then leads to the lust of the flesh. But behind that is that covetousness. The lust of the eyes is talking about that covetousness or jealousy. Again, it's more of an attitude of the heart, isn't it? If you want to know whether that's impacting you, try a little prize draw or a raffle at the school. And you think, oh yeah, but that's, that's, you know, that's nothing. It's, what does it make you feel in your heart when they're drawing the tickets at the end? Hard, isn't it? Because actually, you know there's my heart going, I hope I win, I hope I win, I hope I win. There is within us that seed of covetousness. And when someone gets the big prize at the beginning, there's that seed of jealousy that comes into us. And that is just a raffle at the school. This covetousness is within us, and we have to be careful of the attitudes of the world, because the world around us says, that's good. We have a whole advertising industry that is built up around this lust of the eyes. You only have to listen to the adverts or watch them on the television, see them on the billboards, and they say, you deserve it. You should have this because you're worth it. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I am. I should have the, the latest gadget in the kitchen. I should have the latest car. I should have you know, a nice house. I should you will be able to do all these things. You deserve it. You're worth it. I think that's the L'Oreal one, is it? You're worth it. You know, so yeah, I should be able to make myself as beautiful so that everyone likes me. The covetousness that comes in, the, world, the attitude of the world around us, that's what it's based on. And yet behind all this, it shows a dissatisfaction with God's provision for us. If we say, I want these things, and we're jealous of others, then what we're saying is, what God has given me isn't sufficient. God doesn't know best. God isn't giving me what I should have. And so we see there, the love of these things, the lust of the eyes, is taking us away from God and acknowledging that we don't really trust God as we should. I don't know what they say anymore, keeping up with the Joneses. 
It's a phrase from my youth. I don't know whether it's still used there. You know, looking at those around you. Someone puts a conservatory on the back of their house. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. I want a conservatory on my house. You know, they get a new car. Um, I struggle with the idea of electric cars. I like the idea of an electric car, but I'm not sure. But, you know, the new car, and they've... You think, oh, I deserve a new car. You know, I haven't had one for a long time. This one gets me from A to B, but it's a bit an old banger. You know, and very quickly and easily, these things come in. We're jealous of others. And we feel that if they've got something that we haven't, then... You know, it gives us that feeling in our hearts of jealousy over them. Why should they have that and I haven't got it? It causes us sometimes to rejoice in other people's failings. I think it's particularly relevant when you've got families with children at school and the exam results come out, isn't it? You know, oh, that family down the road, they didn't do as well as our children did. Isn't that good? <laughs> really? But these things, unfortunately, can come into the church, can't they? These attitudes come in. How do you feel when the church down the road, maybe we don't think they preach the gospel as we should, maybe they sing different things the way we do them, maybe their church services are different, but people go along. People are coming in. People are being saved. How do we feel in our hearts? Are the attitudes of the world coming in? And we feel bitter about it. Jealous of what we perceive as their success. And there's others, oh yeah, but you know, they're not doing things right. Not doing things in the right way. And they can come into our own congregations as well. When we see people in the church using their gifts or being given gifts and we become jealous of them. And we, again, rejoice in their failings when things don't go well, when they start an activity and everyone's being very pleased with them starting something in the church and you feel them being praised and now you know, that jealousy comes in our hearts and then it, it comes to nothing, nobody comes along and everyone's saying, oh, well, yeah, it's really sad, the saying, but in the hearts they're saying, good. They were getting that praise. It's hard, isn't it? These attitudes of the world, these are the attitudes of the world around us, and they so easily come into our hearts. We're surrounded by them. But to have the lusts of the eyes, to have that covetousness, shows that we don't love and trust God as we should. And finally, John says, the pride of life. And in many ways, this is perhaps even more subtle. Because this is about our status in life, isn't it? Our position. What people think of us. And as Christians, this is a real challenge. Because the world doesn't like Christians. Because when we stand up for the truth, we're at witness against the sinfulness of their own hearts and their lives. And it's very easy for us to want to be liked, want to have people's good opinion 
and then to change our behaviour, change the things we say, the things we do, to gain their approval. And this can come right across all aspects of our lives, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbours. can come into the workplace. It's very difficult to stand up to dodgy practices in the workplace because of the response of others. If we want to get on with our careers, we've got to fit in with the culture of the day. And all this is about our standing, isn't it? It's what people think of us. And we're very easily drawn to boasting of our abilities. Now, some of these are cultural as, as well. I know that as a, a British person, we tend to try and downplay our, our good characteristics or whatever. We tend to be a little bit um, on the back foot with these things. If you talk to Americans and you ask them, how are you doing? They'll tell you all the great things they've done, all their college education, all the good things. It's a different culture. So we have to be aware of the culture around this as well. But it's very easy for us to take pride in the things that we've done. Even if it's only in our hearts and we look at others and can look down upon them. Remember James talking about a businessman and saying, what are you boasting about? Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Yeah, because a great businessman. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. And we can boast in our arrogance, in the gifts that we have, in the things that we can do. And sometimes God has to say to us, no, I'm going to put things in your way that will bring you down. I mean, struggling for many, many years, but 20 years ago, I was in the Air Force and it was a cross-country thing and I wasn't selected in the team, although I knew that I was good enough. And I wasn't selected in the RAF team to run in the inter-services when I was there. And it was a bitterness in my heart for a long time against the team manager because I was good enough. I was one of the top six runners and should have been in the team and it wasn't. And I come to recognise that sometimes God deals with us in a way to stop that pride and that boasting. And so God is in control of all these things. God is sovereign. And sometimes when we're struggling is because God is saying, I don't want you to be proud and boasting. I don't want you to have that pride of life. And we have to accept God's will and his dealings with us in these ways. Because it is, and 
the Pharisees were ones, weren't they, who had that pride of life. They loved their station in the world, the opinions of the people around them. They did things openly. And Jesus rebuked them about their charitable deeds, didn't they? When you do good things, don't do them before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Sometimes we miss the significance of that. If we're looking for the attitudes and the opinions of the world to be favourable towards us, that's our reward. That's what we get from it. The favourable opinions of men. And that's it. And you might think, oh, that's good. I'll tell you something, it's not going to last. In one generation, you'll be gone. They won't remember you. If you've been in a workplace and you've left and you might think, oh, all those great things that I did, they'll remember me. For... Someone else will come in and do that job. They won't remember the person who was there before. All the great things you did and the pride you took in that and how much effort you put into that workplace to get the opinions of men and the approval of men, someone else will do it. They won't remember But again, like the others, it comes into the church, doesn't it? We want that position in the church and we want the good opinions of people within the church. And that again is a challenge because we will behave in ways that aren't true to our own hearts that we might get or be seen in a good light. But bizarrely, we can also take pride in being oppressed. Remember, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and when you go out and say, they will oppress you, you will get persecution. And sometimes we can say, as Christians, well, the world will oppress us, so if we're going up and sharing the gospel they're going to be against us. And when they say harsh things, when they you know, don't listen to us, when they heckle when we're speaking, that's good and we can take pride in it. But we have to be careful that we don't go out deliberately to get that response in that we take pride from it. Remember the disciples when they were taken before the Sanhedrin, they were boasting, or not boasting, they were proud in the fact that they were thought worthy to be punished. So it wasn't, they had done things right, they had done things in God's will, and their glory was in that God was pleased with them. And that's our attitude. The gospel is going to be an offence to the world. We don't need to make it offensive. Jesus says he sends his disciples out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We're going to go out into a hostile world. Be wise as serpents, careful in what we say. But he says be harmless as doves. Share the gospel in a way that's loving to the world around. 
you will receive hostility, you will receive opposition. But don't share it in a way that brings that up, in taking pride in your zealousness in the things that you have done. And all these things are, are attitudes that can quite easily come in. And when we look at the roots of them, they're the attitudes of the world. The world likes pride. If you go right back to the very beginning, you see these three attitudes in the original sin. It listened to the devil saying, this is going to be really good. This is going to give you knowledge. There's the pride of life, isn't it? Eve looked at the fruit and it was good. She wanted it because it looked good. There's the lust of the eyes. And she took it and it was good and she passed it to Adam. So he took these three attitudes are there in the original sin and they're still there in our hearts today. And we have to be careful that we respond to them in the right way that we come to do the will of God and seek to love him. John tells us that these things are all passing away. Everything in this world is passing away. And even if we die before the Lord returns, in a couple of generations, there will be very few people who remember you. There might be one or two of your family that think, oh yes, great grandpa or great grandma. They lived in so and so. All those things you've strived for in your life, all those things that you've done, all the way you've sought the good opinion of men, all those things will pass away, either at the end of time or just in the process of time. Only God's opinion has any value. Only God's opinion lasts. Only in him will none of these things be forgotten. If we do the will of God and we seek to do God's will, we spend time in his word knowing what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live our lives and seek to please him, we might not receive the good opinion of the world around us we might not be we might be spoken of in harsh terms but when the day comes we say come up here my good and faithful servant if we serve god and so we have to remember that it's not external rules and regulations that draw the line between those who love the world and those who love the Father. We can't get a long list. I think they said in Jesus' time, the Pharisees are like 614 laws or something. We can't create a list of laws and rules and regulations that can be followed and we're one side of the line or the other. The line isn't drawn externally. The line is drawn in our hearts as to whether we believe and trust in God, whether we're going to put him first in all that we say and do. 
whether we love him or whether in our attitudes and our values, in the way we live our lives, we show that actually we love the world. John says, the world is passing away and the lust of it. All the enjoyment in the world. There are many, many good things. There are loads of things to love. God is good to us. But this world is passing away with its attitudes, with its values, with its opinions. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Only in him can we know that everlasting peace and happiness. And so we should be seeking God's opinion and, his God, and God's value, not the values and opinions of this world. That's John's message to us. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let us be those that love the Father and live in this world, but not of it. Amen.